Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Happy Friday, friends. We've been waiting all week for this, haven't we? Welcome back to Swamp Daddy's Lounge. Too much? All right. We'll stick to Casa de Blood for now. I'm trying to spice things up around here, you know. Maybe I could put in a tiki bar or something. Yeah, a hot tub would be nice too, Chester. And I'm sure all sorts of ladies would want to get in there with a filthy alligator chicken bones floating around. Jeez, so sensitive. Anyway, come on in, friend. We've got work to do. Steve? Oh, hey, Drew. Hey, bud. Good to see you. What brings you out this way, friend? Just came by to pet Chester. Also thought your listeners might like to check out the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast, available wherever you do your listening. Well, sure thing, Steve. I'll bet most of them listen already. But if you don't, you'll want to add that to your repertoire right away. I perform on there sometimes myself. Thanks, pal. Oh, and uh, just so you know, you're out of Twinkies. Huh? Well, that's impossible. I just bought a box. Oh. Damn it, Steve. See you on the flip-flop. I'm going for a dip. Well, hope he waited half an hour first. Oh yeah, I gotta do something for Big John from Leicester, England. He likes it when I take a shot of whiskey. Makes him feel not so alone in his drinking, I reckon. <sighs> and we wouldn't want any friends to feel left out. <sighs> Alright, it's time to smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all. Cause old Drew Blood has a tell to tell. Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. And tonight, we welcome back our old pal, Aaron Vleck. February I'm hearing is Women in Horror Month, and I'm proud to say that Aaron Vleck is in fact a woman. So we've checked that box. And don't ever challenge my bona fides. Black History Month? Well, give me another year. They'll come around. So, from author Aaron Vleck, I present to you, 
The Hot Zone. The horde was closing fast, their foul scent heavy on the night air. As they scrambled over parked cars and rained down destruction on the streets in their sadistic frolicking, some were on all fours like beasts or upright like men. Others flapped their wings so loudly David couldn't keep his wits about them. They were chanting his old name now, begging him to join them promising to feast on his blood such as it was if he refused them. Long black coattails flew in the wind concealing a dozen lanky grinning bodies. They were playing with him now and he despised them for it. Some of these foul creatures he had hated for a millennium with good reason. Others, others he had once called friend all he could do was keep running. There was only one more block to go. The meeting point was just up ahead. He could see it now through the piss yellow mist that clouded the damp streets. David thought he might actually have a chance to outrun them. The huge door stood bright and open, ready to receive him as a few late stragglers wandered out and huddled under their umbrellas in the hot summer rain. David lurched into a last desperate sprint, expending the last of his strength as vicious gibbering laughter swallowed him. He screamed as the black talons ripped into his flesh and the hot rank breath filled his lungs. The last thing David saw was the cold wet pavement slamming into his ravaged face. Jail perched on the heavy branch of an ancient oak tree, waiting for his brother to appear. He stifled a sharp cry of rage and agony. The empty streets had become way too quiet. The horde had taken his brother. He knew because he could no longer hear David's footsteps splashing through the alley, no longer feel his presence. The smell of death and the acrid stench of joy and exultation as the horde ravaged David's flesh sickened him. But there was nothing he could do alone against so many. Despite the silence, Jael could sense them out there. He would mourn his brother later in the proper time-honored way. David would understand. The whole world would know of his loss, his pain, and his sorrow and they too would understand. The horde started in again, making a lot of noise, trying to lure him out. They always made so damn much noise. They were vulgar and he loathed them. In the days to come, if the opportunity arose, he would butcher every last one of them and savor the bitter taste of their blood as he licked it from his fingers. Leaping from the sagging branch, Jael landed silently on the pavement. But they had heard him and were after him in an instant. Jael quickly closed the distance between himself and the large welcoming building up ahead. But they were as fast and agile as he remembered, and they weren't laughing now. 
playing with him at all. Their vile threats and hideous promises roared in his ears. A hot wave of foul, rancid breath washed over him as he exited the alley and scrambled up the broad marble staircase. The razor-like claws grazing the back of his neck as they closed with him on the second stair. Their screams echoed in his brain as they watched him stumble over the top two steps and stagger through the open door where he collapsed in a pool of candlelight. Jail watched as they retreated down the stairs, snarling and growling in rage as they disappeared back into the darkened, rain-soaked alley. It was silent again, and he surrendered to the press of cold white marble against his hot, tear-stained face. One. Father Lorenzo's powerful slender body knelt before the altar in prayer, but his heart just wasn't in it. It hadn't really been in it for years, if it ever truly had been. He was alert to everything around him, ears strained, muscles tensed for the slightest shift in the air if anyone came too close. Even his nostrils flared, waiting for anything amiss from the usual sounds and smells of the church and its habitual denizens. It had to be like this. St. Anne's Parish suffered the same problems as the city that engulfed him and the growing population of homeless and those barely hanging on who crowded the neighboring streets. They were the addicts, hustlers, hookers, and related personnel, feral kids, old people on a dollar a day, and others who defied all imaginative description and none of them were looking for salvation. Even the inner sanctum of St. Anne's was no protection from the ravages of hunger and despair. Intruders robbed the parish five times in the last year and mugged Father Lorenzo at knife point on the front steps twice. An explosion of angry voices at the back of the church brought Father Lorenzo to his feet. He raced down the center aisle as the dark figure of a man appeared in the doorway and then collapsed on the floor. He dashed to the man's side, cautiously examining the motionless body. He saw a thick knot of black-clad figures scrambling down the steps and then disappearing in a half a dozen directions into the dark streets. The priest turned back to the fallen man and shook his head. What had looked exactly like arching wings a moment before as the man stood in the doorway were now just the dark folds of his long black coat. The youthful face wore a twisted and inhuman grimace. So many kids came here looking for shelter or a hot meal. Most of them were out of their minds on one drug or a veritable cocktail of them. At best, Lorenzo thought cynically, all I can offer them is just another drug. Two. Lorenzo sat on the edge of the battered brown leather chair in his study and stared at his young visitor. The boy was wide awake now and stared back at him. Taking a deep breath, the priest stood up, straightened his robes, and moved a few steps closer toward his guest. Hello, hi, Lorenzo said for the third time in five minutes, forcing a smile and extending his hand. Welcome to St. Anne's. The young man stood as Lorenzo approached. 
more than a head taller than the wiry priest, and he wasn't smiling. Lorenzo instinctively took two steps back. The strange dark eyes bore into his own, and he felt exposed and vulnerable, almost naked down to his soul in that peculiar wide-eyed gaze. There was something in those eyes that chilled the blood in his veins, but he just couldn't look away. Hi, the boy said. In his early twenties, lean and well-built, with long blonde hair, he was dressed in the uniform de jour, faded jeans, a rockman t-shirt, and badly worn boots. His hand shot out and gripped Lorenzo's, giving it a quick shake that shot a wave of electric energy up his arm. The priest instinctively yanked his hand away, but immediately regretted it in the awkward silence. I'm Father Lorenzo. Are you hungry? The priest stammered, his mind sliding in confusion. Sweat trickled down his back and every fiber of his being recoiled within him and chalked his breath in his chest, telling him, Run. Run for your very life from this room. Yeah, sure, the kid replied. I can eat. We can talk. And then you can let me use your computer. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Three. My computer? What do you need my computer for? Lorenzo asked as they returned to his study, cups of steaming coffee in hand. The air in the study was surreal, like a dream in a fog or a black and white movie of the sort he never really liked and he found it hard to keep his thoughts straight. You've got a nice setup here, the boy said, ignoring his question and draining his coffee, then setting the cup on the floor next to his feet. But you're not right for this priest gig, you know, he continued. Your heart's just not in it, he added with a grin, standing up and walking to the bookshelf. Excuse me, Lorenzo said, knocking over his own coffee cup and not even noticing. Not anymore, it's not. The youth continued absently sweeping the tall bookshelves with his eyes. You saw me last night, didn't you? 
but your mind doesn't want to admit it. What do you mean? Lorenzo mumbled. What did you see? The kid asked casually while absently running a finger down a row of books and checking for dust. What it looked like was maybe... What it looked like was crazy. I thought I saw wings. Lorenzo barked and tried to choke out a laugh. (laughs) But, yeah, crazy. Maybe I look like what your light calls an angel? The young man began stiffly, his lip curling in disgust. How I despise that word, he added, staring at the fireplace. My God! Lorenzo cried out, jumping to his feet. Sit down, the boy commanded. I don't have a lot of time. Let me say my piece. Then we can take care of business, and I can be on my way. All right, but no time for that. Okay, there are a lot of very disgruntled folks among my kind. The so-called light in the dark. The boy spat out the words with a snarl of mirthless laughter. How do you people come up with this drivel anyway? No, no, forget it. I don't understand. You can't be serious, said Lorenzo, leaning forward in his chair. The boy stood deathly still, tall as a reed, and Lorenzo gasped and covered his face as the figure grew taller, impossibly tall before him and the rustling of wings brushed his face as a dark shadow fell over the room. Just as quickly as the apparition had appeared, it was gone, and the boy was again seated in his chair. He'll catch you! The kid snorted with a wave of his hand as Lorenzo cowered against the wall. Father Lorenzo staggered to his chair and collapsed into the soft old leather that yielded to his body. There's a new wind blowing among us. Nice guys like me, and the other kind too. Not so nice guys, and others who don't even care about you wingless wonders. The boy began shaking his head again in irritation. I see, Lorenzo said nodding. No you don't, but moving along. We're bloody sick of the old myths your lot has nailed on to us. And we're more interested in how things really are, the boy said, dropping into his chair. And how are things really? Lorenzo muttered. Change! The boy roared. The universe is alive. Things flower and reform themselves into unimaginable variations. Humanity has bound us for too long and we are through. We're done with you. What are you saying? Lorenzo asked, trying to shake the confusion from his mind. Oh, come on. You're a priest. Who better than you knows all the hideous and hoary monsters of horn and claw and their sappy white-winged counterparts, always blonde for some reason, that populate your sermons? It was never like that outside the imaginations of a few old unimaginative storytellers. But then it all went viral. Have we? But certainly- No! shouted the boy. I'm insane for believing I'm really having this conversation. The priest mumbled to himself, his eyes wide and searching. 
You say you're going away. Where? The hell away from here, the kid roared. I can tell you that much. <sighs> We're headed for the hot zone. Hot zone? Lorenzo asked sharply, thrilling at the sound of the words. Yeah, the hot zone. Kind of a no man's land. A demilitarized zone where nobody's in charge, the boy said with a tilt of his head and a hint of a smile. Think of the possibilities. And what do you need my computer for? Asked Lorenzo hesitantly. The computer is the portal. The jump point to the hot zone. The internet? Lorenzo cried out excitedly. Not just the internet, my good priest. The Tor. The Tor? Yeah. Gateway to the deep dark web. The hot zone. Four. Father Lorenzo stared down at the laptop computer in his office, his visitor at his side and his stomach in knots. On the top of the machine, etched across its silver hull, was the image of an apple with a bite taken out of it. The irony of this image was not lost on either priest or visitor. Why a church? Lorenzo heard himself ask. Why come here if it has no meaning for you? I'd have preferred a library, but this place was closer. The boy barked with a snort. And besides, like us, you guys are always open for business. A library? Yeah. The people who originally built libraries worshipped wisdom and knowledge. They understood the universal formula of design and work it into their monuments, temples, and libraries. It's a formula that's reflected in the atoms and in the bodies of man and animals, trees and rocks, between thought and action, for all time and throughout the very cosmos itself. And the computer? What's the connection between the computer and this, this deep net thing? I told you, it's the gateway. Okay, look. These buildings, old traditional structures built to house an ideal. They all manifest as perfect proportional mean. By their very design and by the function they were intended to serve. I preferred the library because it's cleaner less cluttered with any single ideology that would muck things up. Now, if somebody stacked enough layers of this formula together and they knew what they were doing, they could open any known space just by knowing where they wanted to go. What's really cool is they could create new discrete spaces within the mean ratio where none ever existed before. The boy paused and smiled at Lorenzo as though some vast cosmic wonder was now revealed. Such spaces would be free of any echo or tendency to default toward entrenched visions of reality, because they have none, being newly created, or newly discovered, articulated and defined. There's an infinite capacity for such creation. The computer enters the picture because the internet has naturally created such an inevitable new space. Not created it exactly, but identified it colonized it, made known to all interested parties where it lies and how to get there. The colonized regions represent the matter, while the unidentified free places, 
that's the space. Make sense? Starting to, I think, maybe, Lorenzo replied. Good, the boy said as Lorenzo booted up the Mac, then moved aside for him to take the console. I take it you've never been on the dark net before. Never heard of it until this morning, Lorenzo said, marveling at the boy's fingers as they sped over the keys and images flashed across the screen and then disappeared. I'll have to load up and set up Tor. I set my sigil here, he explained, touching the screen with a slender finger. So you won't have any piranha sniffing around the minute I log on. I've got a few dirty denizens on my trail, but once I am down there, I can handle them. Now, here's the plan. I'm going to open the tour side and access the dark net. I will then sync with the universal ratio of matter to space in myself, magnified by the large ratio represented by that of the church building itself. Then I'll ride the ratio all the way down and jack into the corresponding ratio represented by the tour to the deep net. From the deep net, I'll connect to, well, to everything else, the boy explained, looking into Lorenzo's eyes for understanding. You don't mean physically, Lorenzo gasped. Physically, but you can ponder about all that later. Two things. One, you're going to get out of here when I tell you to. No questions, no looking back, understand? Okay. Got it, replied Lorenzo, prickling with irritation. Good. Second, you come back after about ten minutes and you wipe the dark net, tore everything I've set up here today. You wipe it clean off your hard drive and out of your memory. That's this memory, the boy said firmly, tapping the screen. And your memory, he added, tapping the side of his head. As best as you can, anyway. Got it? Yeah. You should probably strip and reload your operating system. Somebody like you has no business down there, so forget any stupid idea of trying to follow me. Even I see a lot of shit down there I wish I hadn't, and I don't want anybody else stumbling onto this route, by accident or otherwise, and get the scent of my trail and come after me. Anybody? Like who? Lorenzo hissed through his teeth. Like my enemies. They're nasty fucks. They killed my brother tonight, hunted him down like prey just for fun. They almost had me when you found me on the floor. I have to get out of here, get into neutral territory where numbers of your friends or enemies don't mean anything. I'm sorry, Lorenzo gasped, but what are you going to do? He added, shaking his head like he were in some really weird dream and couldn't wake up. I told you. I'm riding the tour rabbit hole all the way down to ground weird of the dark web. From there, I parachute, in a manner of speaking, straight into the hot zone. Physically? Really and truly? Yes, I told you. When I tell you to get out, you go. You shut the door behind you. Run like hell if you have to, and then I'm gone. And Lorenzo, there's one more thing I... What? The kid froze, his head cocked as if hearing something he really didn't want to hear just now. He muttered something under his breath that sounded like a curse and then turned back to the computer, his hands renewing their frantic pounding of the keys. Go, Lorenzo! 
Go now! The kid yelled, and the priest felt the blood in his veins chill. Five. Father Lorenzo staggered down the hall toward his study, mind reeling, and his hand clutching his mouth in shock, eyes wild. He entered his study and collapsed in his chair. After a few moments, he remembered his instructions and pulled his phone from his pocket, set the timer for ten minutes, and laid it on the table next to him. After an uncertain amount of time had passed, but before the phone had sounded its alarm, another sound ruptured Lorenzo's confused reverie. He sat up sharply, his fingers digging into the arms of his chair. He noticed a few things in the next half second. There was a warm breeze filling the study and gently rustling the curtains, followed by the heady fragrance of autumn, damp leaves, dead things, and decay. The scent caused the hair on the priest's arms and the back of his neck to bristle. Then he saw the man seated in the chair opposite him, stifling a single discreet cough with his fist. He was tall, mid-forties, with handsome Asiatic features and very long salt-and-pepper hair, plaited in a heavy braid that lay over his left shoulder. It was a striking look, particularly on one dressed in elegant Victorian evening wear. Lorenzo couldn't even open his mouth to breathe. He tried to stand up, fight or flight having surrendered unconditionally to flight, but he couldn't move a muscle, and his body was nothing but dead weight. Don't trouble yourself to speak. I know you can't move. I thought it best this way, the man said in a rich, curiously accented voice. I've disabled certain parts of your brain. Temporarily, of course, nothing to worry yourself about. Lorenzo knew the man's appearance was a complete sham, a mask, a disguise, a parody and betrayal of the noble human form. What looked like an elegant gentleman was actually far older and of very different origins than the figure seated casually in his chair, one leg draped over the other as he absently plucked a stray hair from his sleeve and cast it aside. Have you ever said your name aloud in a quiet place, Lorenzo? inquired the man. I don't mean introducing yourself to others. I mean when you're all alone. Have you ever spoken your name as a word of sublime poetry? Just to see it dance upon the silence. How it repels and consumes all lesser inferior sounds that would dare challenge its supreme place in the moment. The man asked as though delivering his words from the grandest theatrical stage in history. Lorenzo tried to nod his head and calm himself, but it was useless and he feared he would release the contents of his bowels and bladder into his chair. No, how very sad. Let me show you how it's done so you may see, truly. What I mean, the man said softly as he drew a deep breath, then released it and moistened his lips. 
Lorenzo braced as if for sudden impact with a deadly force of catastrophic magnitude. Lucifer. The man said in a voice so gentle and full of passion he could have been whispering into the ear of an ardent lover. Lorenzo shuddered and almost gagged. You see, I believe that of all my many and glorious names of sublime poetry, this one is my absolute favorite. He said with a smile that pierced Lorenzo's soul like a needle through the body of a living moth. There is another whose name, like mine, is sheer poetry, he continued. But he has renounced that precious name and struck out upon a perilous journey into madness and infamy he cannot possibly complete. He has broken with he said, rising and coming to stand before the priest's chair, and leaning down to gaze into his face. With the order of things, I fear he may have come here soliciting your assistance in this madcap misadventure, this fool's errand. It would be profoundly unwise for anyone such as yourself to aid this individual in his unfortunate schemes. Just nod, Lorenzo, so I know we understand one another. It would be easy, pitifully easy, and so very sad. For your affairs were to take a sudden sour turn here at St. Anne's, don't you think?" Lorenzo stared wild-eyed and unblinking at the man, at Lucifer, while the small boy part of himself prayed that he'd wake up, that none of this was really happening. One wonders, Lucifer continued, returning to his seat and glancing around the room. Indeed, one wonders how a man of your age ends up at a tired, broken-down, backwater dump of a parish like this. Philip Renoir was just made Monsignor. I believe you were his tutor at the seminary, were you not? There are two men from your own diocese in Rome on papal commissions, yet here you are. You must have done something quite remarkable that somebody didn't like. Or perhaps you just didn't capture the attention of anybody interesting at any point along your career. It'd be such a pity if anyone, anyone interesting, Father Michael, for example, were to hear by the by of what's going on in your study this very minute with your computer. He said, rising and fixing Lorenzo with a chilling gaze. Why don't we go take a look, hmm? 
Perhaps I can help you sort all this out, he said imperviously. Lorenzo staggered to his feet like a puppet on uneven strings and was dragged down the long hall by the force of a will he could neither comprehend nor resist. When they entered the office, the young visitor was gone, as expected, and the dark net was still open and running. The distinctive characters of a traveler's destination swarmed the screen, filling it, dissolving into emptiness and then appearing again to repeat the cycle of patterns, dots, swirling lines, and blackness. Lucifer smiled and looked from the screen to Lorenzo. You're dismissed. Sleep now. You'll awaken in a little while. You'll remember nothing, of course, but do remember this. Watch your back, priest. The world is a very dangerous place these days, and nobody believes in hallowed ground anymore. Not even me, Lucifer said, waving a hand over Lorenzo's face and watching as he collapsed onto the carpet. You won't be needing this anymore, he added, unplugging the small computer and sliding it into its case. Then he was gone. Six. In a place far, far removed from St. Anne's Parish, in a study once much more opulent and severe than that belonging to Father Lorenzo, Lucifer, son of the morning, stared into the screen of a small computer sitting on a stack of very old books. He had allowed himself to indulge in a series of thoughts and meditations he hadn't savored for a very long time. Delighting greatly in this whole affair, Lucifer felt almost young again, if young he had ever truly been. He thought back over recent history and marveled at what lay before him and at himself. They'll never know until it's too late. He mused, satisfied and for the first time in his life, content for the moment and strangely hopeful for what yet may be. When he had first become aware that humans were fooling around in new terrains of being, creating discrete pockets of sub-reality that could then be shared and accessed by virtually anybody, he hadn't believed it. He hadn't thought that they were capable of such flights of imagination of such excesses of hubris and unrestraint. Then he had discovered some odd characters who called themselves chaos magicians. They rejected all the old ideas about good and evil, all the absolute declarations of what reality, mind and matter, even what consciousness and time itself were all about, that indeed these were as fluid and malleable as clay in potter's hands waiting to be formed and then reformed, destroyed and made new again, according to the design and desire of those hands. That brave but reckless explorers were forging new and unrecognizable pathways through reality was highly undeniable. They were mixing and matching unrelated paradigms and incompatible magics and religion 
and manipulating it all in the name of deities and archetypes pulled out of TV shows and comic books, ancient history, and their own unfettered imaginations. They were even calling up nameless minions out of nowhere called servitors to do their bidding or just for fun. Some were authors of graphic novels who released all this, this chaos into the collective brain. They were discarding everything that didn't work, that was outdated, that wasn't fun, and it was working. Others he knew tried desperately to write them off as confused, as deluded and living in their own fantasies, a product of the drugs of the age and the alienation of all time. None of that interested Lucifer, son of the morning. What interested him was that these methods worked. The other thing that interested him most keenly was what he planned to do about it. When it became clear that it wasn't just humans who were getting in on this gold rush frontier of ideas, that these ideas were catching on all over, in all the strata of the seen and unseen worlds, Lucifer, son of the morning, from the legion of the first of days, took notice. Demons and angels, terms he hated as much as anyone did, were forming new alliances. Alliances with humans, with each other, and they were abandoning the old work in droves. For the first time in forever, there were brand new things in the air and on the wind, and nothing looked the same. Nothing was the same anymore. For the first time in forever, Lucifer, son of the morning, felt himself growing old. 7. Lorenzo opened his eyes and looked around. He was disoriented. Why was he laying on the floor in his office? What had awakened him? Was it raining? There was a persistent tapping at the windows, but no, not rain. He ran into the church and looked around in confusion, his eyes scouring every corner frantically. The noise was growing louder now, a deafening roar. The sound of desperate scratching and battering against the tall stained glass windows that groaned against the onslaught gave way to the sound of many things skittering with purpose across the slate-tiled roof far above. Crazed laughter echoed throughout the vast chamber, and Lorenzo covered his ears with his fists. There were things, big things, on the roof. This he knew for sure. Then he heard a great whooshing as of wings, and his mouth filled with bile, and he convulsed uncontrollably on the floor. At this moment, if Lorenzo had been a true man of the cloth, a believing man, he might have entertained the unlikely hope that they were but angels alighting on the roof, bringing sweet tidings from on high. He froze in terror as part of the ceiling crashed to the floor behind him, and he just couldn't force himself to turn and look as something, and then many somethings, landed on the marble floor behind him. Massive razor-sharp talons tore through the flesh on his back like paper and then crushed his spine as foul breath licked his ears then spoke his name. 
Only then did Lorenzo's memory of the last several hours surface as a blinding light in his mind, and he recalled what his strange young visitor had said about enemies. He hadn't, almost hadn't believed the kid's story, but Father Lorenzo was a true believer now. In another part of the church, Lucifer stood completely naked before the greatest achievement of mankind's insatiable curiosity. He slowly ran his hands across the shiny silver hull, a purely sensual indulgence he knew. Then, after a few moments of silence, he booted the machine and opened the portal to the internet. Then he passed his fingers over the keyboard and closed his eyes. When he opened them again, the last window and destination the machine had been set to spring open at his touch like the glittering toy box of possibilities belonging to some mad ineffable goddess. His fingers hovered for a moment over the keys as he contemplated all the worlds he had ever known. He wondered how long it would take them to notice he was gone. Really gone. He wondered if they would understand the all-consuming boredom that had been driving him insane for eons. He wondered if he'd be missed. He wondered if they had ever appreciated all he had done for them since the beginning of forever. Most of all, he wondered if they would even bother to replace him. Focusing on the tour icon that filled the screen and the blaze of figures swirling around it like a beckoning vortex, he smiled. Then he spoke his name for the very last time. Lucifer! Son of the morning! He shouted in triumph. Then he pressed the enter key, opened his arms wide, and surrendered himself to the deep net of dark wonder. And that was The Hot Zone by author Aaron Bleck. A good reminder to check the parental settings on your kid's tablet. Jeff just caught his kid trying to Google Blue Waffle, but he's on top of that shit. Be foretold, the gate to hell is sitting right on your desktop. A little about the author. Aaron Vleck is a storyteller whose work focuses primarily on the trickster as bringer of the light and proponent of disquiet and humors. Many of her short stories delve into the original tales of the djinn and the universal imagining of the Native American coyote. Some works are historical in settings while others hail from the contemporary and urban landscape. She indulges more and more in reimagining the classic themes of Lovecraftian horror and has a keen fondness for the occult detective. Erin is a graduate of Sarah Lawrence College where she spent most of her time writing. Her work has appeared in many places around the net, including Ghastly Tales Podcast, The Wicked Library, Nocturnal Transmissions, as well as in numerous anthologies. She was shortlisted for a Parsec Award and appeared on Ellen Datlow's recommended reading list a few years ago. But most prestigiously, she rang in Women in Horror Month on Drew Blood's Dark Tales. Thanks, Aaron. Always a pleasure. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? 
Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. And if you see Steve Taylor swimming around out there, make sure he's not getting any cramps. I'd like to say hello to a few listeners of the show. James Blaylock, Morgan Hilburn Harrington, and Summer Saunders. I really appreciate the support and comments, y'all. Keep them coming. So, James Blaylock, Morgan Hilburn Harrington, and Summer Saunders. May the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. Hide those Twinkies all the way in the back of the cupboard. And if not, you might as well go fuck yourselves. (laughs) Good night, y'all. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.